If you have your Bibles, if you would open them to the book of Genesis, chapter 26. Genesis, chapter 26. We are continuing in our study of the life of Abraham. But you might be thinking last Sunday, Abraham died, what we looked at in chapter 25. So why are we still in the life of Abraham, or are we? Yes, we are. Because the promises that were made to Abraham continue to the next generation, that is Isaac, and the generation after that, who is Jacob. We will see that God's promises would be, in fact, fulfilled in spite of human failings that seem to shortcut it or circumvent it, would prevent them from being fulfilled. God's word, in fact, did come to pass. We saw that Isaac marries Rebekah. She is barren. She cannot have children. Isaac prayed to the Lord. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. As I said last week, this is her her first and only pregnancy, and she sensed that something was wrong. She's never gone through this before, so she's not quite sure what's happening. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. She asked, what's going on? Um... It was revealed to her that she was carrying twins. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. So two nations, two people, they're separated. They're not together. They're incompatible. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And in fact, she did have twins. The first one to come out was Esau, um, who was... When he came out, was red. His whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau, that is, hairy. And then his brother came out holding on to his heel, um, and his name was Jacob, one who grabs the heel, which is sort of a a euphemism for one who tricks, one who cheats. Okay. In telling Rebecca this, God reveals something of his dealings with human beings. That human beings' place in God's plan of redemption and grace is not determined by our actions or our position. As Paul writes in Romans uh, Romans 9, verse 11, Yet before the twins were born or had done anything, good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. She was told, the elder shall serve the younger. Today we're going to look at the life of Isaac. The story continues. And if you've been with us through this study, you might think you're having a sense of deja vu because some of the things that happened in chapter 26 happened earlier with his father Abraham. Beginning in verse number 1. Now there was a famine in the land, Besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, saying, Gerar, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all of these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. 
So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, Anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. As I said, you might be having a sense of deja vu. We've heard this before, the famine, um, saying she's my sister because you're afraid you might be killed. We've met someone named Abimelech in chapter 21. It's the same name, but a different man. Abimelech is actually a title. He is a king of the Philistines in the same way that Pharaoh is a king in Egypt. Uh, So this is not the same man that dealt with uh, his father Abraham. There's a famine, okay? And Isaac is told, don't go down to Egypt. By the way, this is not the same famine. In verse number one, it makes it very clear. This is not the same famine, okay? This is a different story, okay? This is not, you know, version two or three of, of the story. This is a different occasion altogether. And he's told, don't go down. I will take care of you. I will bless you. And in verse number, verse number six, Isaac obeys. He stays in Gerar. There's a famine, but he stays there. He believes that the promises of God, which were sworn to Abraham, will be fulfilled. But like most of us, and like his father, fear overcomes his faith. He endangers his wife in order to protect himself. So when the people ask, who is she? Oh, she's my sister. Now, with Abraham, that was like half true because Sarah was his half-sister, okay? Uh, in this case, it's not true. Rebecca was his, and I had to look this up, the, his first cousin once removed. That is to say, her father was Isaac's cousin. She's not his sister, but he's afraid that people will kill her because she's a beautiful woman and they might take her. But if you notice, his fear was apparently unfounded. Verse number 8 when Isaac had been there a long time. So nobody had done anything. It's not like Pharaoh taking Sarah into his harem or Abimelech earlier taking Sarah into his harem. Nobody had touched her. No one had come near. And Abimelech one day sees them, and different translations have different words for this, but apparently acting as husband and wife, not brother and sister. And so Abimelech calls him in and says, What's up? I mean, she is your wife, and if anybody had, in fact, slept with her, it would be serious trouble. You would have brought guilt upon us. And in the last verse, in verse number 11, Abimelech tells his people, anybody, anybody who touches this man or his wife will be put to death. I mentioned this last week, that it's the fulfilling of Psalm 105. Um, When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them for the sake he rebuked, for their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Well, this time it's Abimelech saying, 
don't touch these two people. Now from verses 12 to 35, it's, we're on a roller coaster of sorts. That good things happen and then bad things happen. And bad things happen, then good things happen. And we'll go through this quickly, but I just want to make it clear that just because Isaac is the chosen one doesn't mean a smooth road. There are going to be difficulties. So, verses 12 to 14. By the way, understand when we're using, there's a famine in the land. Okay, Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. This is in the midst of a famine. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and, and servants that the Philistines envied him. In a place not known for fertility, in the midst of a famine, Isaac plants and reaps a hundredfold. So there's no question that this is God's doing. He becomes very wealthy, and he becomes someone that the people envy. So it's good, and now we go to the bad, verses 15 to 18. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us, you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. One of the things that's clear in these verses that I want you to take away from this is that he is still a stranger. He's still a pilgrim. He's not a citizen. Abimelech says, listen, you need to get out of here. You are too powerful for us. It's not as though I'm king and you're my subject. Uh, He is a pilgrim. He is a stranger. And because of his wealth, his strangerness is even more pronounced. That he is a pilgrim becomes even more evident. Well, the bad things continue in verse 19. Isaac's servants dug up, uh, dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, the water is ours. So he named the place Isaac because they disputed with him. Isaac means dispute. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna, that is opposition. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. Rehoboth means a room. God's given us room. Because of the envy, um, it's not enough, you know, that people envy. They don't want you to have, they want what you have, they don't want you to have it. So he has these wells, he has fresh water, and they stop it up and they're like, no, no, that's ours. You can't have it. It belongs to us. And he has to keep moving away. Um, but finally, he reaches a point where no one quarrels and he has fresh water for his herds. Okay. Now the good. So been bad, now it's good. Verse 23, from there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well.
couple things here. Remember, do not be afraid is the most repeated command in Scripture because it is our default setting. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned and were afraid, we have been afraid. The Lord says, do not be afraid. And Isaac responds by building an altar. He doesn't take the initiative. We've talked about this so many times in prayer. God speaks to us and we respond in prayer. We tend to, we tend to think that we start the conversation and then God, God answer my prayer. Well, no, actually he is the one who has arranged circumstances and has spoken to us and then we respond in prayer. We don't start the conversation. Um, I think that's something that we so often forget. And then it continues with good news in verse number 26. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar, and Ahuzah, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me, since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way and they left him in peace. So the king comes with his personal advisor, his military commander, Phicol. They go to meet with him in Beersheba, which means the well of the oath. Um, he is surprised because they had been hostile. They told him to leave, and now they come to see him, to visit him. And why did they come? Well, we have seen clearly the Lord is with you. Uh, I'm not sure that they believed in the Lord, but they believed what they saw in Isaac's life. And it's like, yeah, we want you to be on our side. We want to be on your side. Let's make an agreement between us. And so they agree. It continues with good news in verse 32. That day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we've found water. He called it Sheba, that is oath. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba, that is well of the oath. By the way, this also happened with Abraham. If you're having that deja vu thing happening again, that in fact, it was a place where Abraham had dug a well. It is the well of oath, and they have water. But now the bad news at the end of the chapter. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Biri the Hittite, and also Bathlemath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Esau marries at the age of 40, just like his father. Isaac was 40 when he married Rebekah. Um, but his character is revealed in his choices. He marries two Hittite women, two pagan women, Judith and Basimath. And in mentioning this, we are now prepared to get to chapter 27, which is probably one of the more familiar stories uh, of Isaac and his sons, Esau and Jacob. These, they're bad news for Isaac, but they sort of prepare us for what's going to happen. So, if we look at chapter 27, um, we might say, oh, this is where Isaac steals the blessing. But did he? Bear with me, I'm going to read the whole chapter. 
Okay, I want us to read from beginning to end, and then we will look at various aspects. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goatskins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for the hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of the game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate, and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the scent of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and of earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow before you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. 
Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, by the way, he said to himself, but apparently others heard it, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, so apparently not just to himself, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. Now then, my son, do what I, tell, what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban and Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Okay, let's start out with some questions. Did Jacob lie to his father? Yes. Yes. Did he deceive his father? Yes. Was the deception deliberate? Yes, it was. Was it wrong? Ah, that's the question. To answer that question, we have to ask another question. Is deception always wrong? The example that people usually refer to is found in the book of Joshua where Joshua sends two spies into Jericho to find out what's going on, and they go to the house of Rahab, who is a prostitute, and she hides them. But somehow word gets to the king, there are two Jewish guys here who are spying, and they've gone to Rahab's place. Okay, um, So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to, uh, to spy out the whole land. But the woman... Um, had taken the men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I do not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You might catch up with them. They're really on her roof. She's hidden them under straw. Okay, So she has lied. She has deceived her king. And so people are like, was this a good lie? Is there such a thing as a good lie? Uh, Or is it a bad lie? Um, theologians have struggled with this for centuries Um, it is worth noting that in Hebrews 11 the chapter listing people of faith we read by faith the prostitute Rahab 
because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So the question is, was her lie, was her deception okay? Let's set that aside for a moment. I think what many people fail to recognize is there were actually not, she wasn't the only deceiver in that scenario. There were two others, the spies, right? They were spies. And a spy, by definition, is someone who deceives. So is it okay to be a spy? Um, is deception acceptable in wartime? And one theologian has even asked, is it okay to have camouflage, like on tanks or your uniforms, to hide yourself from the enemy? That's deception. Is that right or wrong? And then we have a number of stories in the book of Judges in which Israelites use deception in order to kill a political leader. Uh, in chapter 3, it is the story of Ehud, uh, who... Uh, assassinated the king of Moab, a man named Eglon. Uh, Ehud was left-handed, but he got a sword and he tied it to his right thigh. Not the, it's, the deception is obvious. And then he goes and he says, listen, I have a message, a private message for the king. And so they close the doors and he goes in and he sticks the sword in and he can't get it out because Eglon is such a fat man. Uh, and then there's the story of jail. God had raised up uh, Deborah, a judge and a, um, a prophetess. They'd been oppressed for 20 years by a king of Canaan named Jael. And so the army of Israel rises up. They're going to throw off this oppression. And the leader of uh, Eglon's army, I'm sorry, of Jael's army, is a man named Sisera. And when he sees that the battle is going against him, we read uh, the Lord routed Sisera and his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. He went to the tent of Jael, the king of Heber, I'm sorry, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Um, because they were, there were friendly relations between them. So Jael went out to meet him. She's standing in front of the tent, and here comes this guy running. He's running away from the battle. Um, come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. He entered the tent, and she put a covering over him. She's hiding him from the Israelites who might try to kill him. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes and asks, is anyone here, say no. In other words, lie. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. She violated the fact that there were friendly relations between her, her husband's clan and the Canaanites. Okay? She violated the laws of hospitality. You don't kill your guests. She lied to Sarah to Sisera. She killed Sisera. And yet in the next chapter, we have the song of Deborah. They have won a great victory. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Canaanite, most blessed of tent dwelling women. He asked for water and she gave him milk, a bowl fit for nobles. She brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, he crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. 
at her feet he sank, he fell. There he lay at her feet, he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. By the way, the name of the king was Jabin, not Jael. Jael is the name of the woman. So she is called Blessed. And Ehud is a judge of Israel after he assassinates Eglon. So based on these examples, I think one could make a case that deception is not always wrong. But then go back to Genesis 27. Was Jacob wrong? We know he lied. We know he deceived. But was he wrong? Opening a Pandora's box here, I know. We prefer, I think, to think in terms of black and white. You must lie, you must not lie, you must always tell the truth. And so the question comes up, if you were living back in World War II and you were hiding Jews in your basement and the, and the Gestapo came and said, do you have Jews in your basement? You'd have to say, I cannot tell a lie. Yes, I have Jews in my basement. I think that really fails to take into account certain things. I think we're actually missing something very important in this story. In this story... In Genesis 27, there are no good guys. It's not the good guys versus the bad guys, okay? Each and every member of this family is at fault. Jacob and Rebekah are seen as the schemers, that somehow Jacob cheated Esau out of the blessing, okay? But God had already spoken to Rebekah. He had already revealed that the older would serve the younger, that Jacob, in fact, was God's choice, okay? And God's reason for reversing the order, because the firstborn is supposed, you know, primogenitor, they're supposed to have the blessing, they're the ones who carry on the name of the family, was because of grace. The reason he reversed it was because of grace. These are the first three verses of Malachi. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved me? Uh, loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? The Lord said, yet I have loved Jacob. But Esau I have hated and have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Um, and then later on in Romans chapter 9, Paul will quote this passage. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Malachi 1, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And as much as we may struggle with that, Rebekah was told that. And I, we are not told that Isaac knew that, but I don't see how he could not have known that that was true. God had explicitly revealed his plan for the two nations, that the people descending from Esau would serve the people descending from Jacob. But Isaac was determined to give the blessing to Esau. Now, whether or not he, in, he knew about it, and I, I think that he did. By the way, I'll mention this later, but you know, when this happened, uh, Esau and Jacob were 70 years old, okay? They're not young guys. They're 70 years old. The word's been around for a while that the older will serve the younger. But it didn't seem that Isaac was concerned. His son married two pagan women. Eh, you know, boys will be boys, you know, that type of deal. And something else. 
It seemed that all he was concerned about was having a good meal. You know, go out and fix this tasty food, you know, just the way that I like it. And Rebecca knew how to do that too. Um, in this respect, Esau and Jake, uh, Isaac are much alike. It's all about the food. Remember that Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew? And Isaac is willing to go against God's purpose for the sake of a good meal. One could make the case that Isaac was determined to use his power as the head of the family to give the patriarchal blessing in order to get one last good meal from his son, his favorite, Esau. Isaac was willing to challenge God's revelation, God's judgment concerning his sons, in order to get that last meal. He ignored the fact that Esau sold his birthright. All that mattered was his choice. I choose Esau, even though God had chosen Jacob. And at this point, Isaac has gone to war against God. He is at war with God's purposes. The side note, by the way, if you read this carefully, and we did go through it, uh, you'll notice that all five senses are involved in this story. The blindness, he can't see, okay? Taste, he wants to taste some of that delicious food. Hearing, he hears it sounds like Jacob, but uh, feeling, the hands are those of Esau, and then smelling. When he had Jacob kiss him, he could smell, he could smell Esau on the clothes. You'll notice that Jacob did not instigate or initiate this deception. His mother did. She sided with the one favored by God. So Jacob did not decide on his own to thwart the desires of his father. Rebecca was clearly more future-oriented. She's not just thinking about a meal. It seems that that's all Isaac's thinking about. By the way, Isaac's 137 when this happens. We'll get to this later. He lived another 43 years. Okay, so he wasn't near death. Okay, he lived to be 180 years old. But he's thinking about this meal right now so I can give the blessing to my favored son, um, not the one that God had chosen. By the way, a side note, the Mosaic Law is very clear about how you treat the blind. Um, Cursed is the man who leads the blind astray on the road. All the people shall say, Amen. In Leviticus, uh, we are told that you are not to put an obstacle in the path of someone who is blind. By the way, doesn't it strike you strange that Isaac, uh, that Isaac couldn't tell the difference between goat skin and Esau? I mean, what does that tell us about Esau? Uh, yeah. The blessing has three parts. Um, by the way, going back to last week's sermon, the birthright and the blessing are not the same. The birthright is the right to be the firstborn son. Esau came out first, so he had the birthright, but he sold it for a bowl of stew. So technically speaking, legally speaking, Jacob is now the firstborn. The blessing is something very different. God blessed Abraham who blessed Isaac, and now the blessing is going to pass on to Jacob. Actually, Isaac wants it to be Esau. In chapter 12, I will bless you, the Lord tells Abram, 
And then the Lord blesses Isaac, as we've seen in the previous chapter, and now it is to be conveyed to Jacob. It's a statement of what he will receive in verse 28. May the Lord give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness and abundance of grass and new wine. And then a statement about his relationship with other human beings. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be cursed. That goes back to the first set of promises to Abram. That's in chapter 12. So it's going from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And we do say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. We don't say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Esau. Jacob is the one whom God has chosen. So you know the story. I read it to you. Pulls off this big deception. And then Esau comes in and says, here I am with the food. And we read in verse number 33, Isaac trembled violently. Why do you think he trembled violently? Was it because he realized he'd been deceived? Or could it be that he fearfully realized how wrong his choice had been? That he was actually going to war against the God of the universe, the God who called his father, the God who chose him. He is the son of promise. He'd gone to war with him, and he had lost I'm really struck by the fact that Esau failed to recognize his failure in all this. In verse number 36, Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. I'm sorry, he did not take the birthright. You sold it. Okay, and if you remember the last verse of chapter 25, Esau despised his birthright. It doesn't say Jacob fooled him, or Jacob tricked him, or Jacob pulled a fast one, Esau is the one who despised his birthright. So what is his solution? My brother tricked me. He took from me what belongs to me. His solution is violence. He said to himself, uh, that's kind of strange that he said it to himself, but Rebecca heard about it. You know, I'm waiting until my dad dies and then, then I'll, I'll settle scores. I will kill my brother Jacob. And he does something else that's in the next chapter. Um, he makes more bad choices. Look, if you would, at chapter 28, verses 8 and 9. This kills me. Esau then, realizing how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father, Isaac, by the way, he was Isaac's favorite, so he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the, daughter, or the sister of Nebaioth and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in, order, in addition to the wives he already had. Yeah, I know this really, it really makes my dad mad, so I'm going to do it again. I mean, it reveals a lot about the character of this man. Beyond that, God didn't choose Isaac because he, or choose Jacob because he had great character. We will see in the weeks to come. That's really debatable. Uh, God's, God chose in grace. It is in grace. He responded by displeasing his father even further. And Lord willing, we'll see next week. Um, Rebecca's like, Jacob's got to leave um, till my, you know, till my other son cools off. Um, but 
let's not miss the point of the story. I, I think when people read this chapter, they think, what a snake Jacob was, that he deceived his father. And by the way, if we're going to be calling people names, I, I think Rebecca would be in that same camp. I mean, it's one thing, well, I think it is one thing for a child to deceive a parent, but for a spouse to, re, to deceive their spouse, I mean, that's, that's up there in terms of things you're not supposed to do. Okay? But let's not focus on that. What we should focus on, that we have a father who is determined to go against God's plan. He's gone to war against God. We have a mother who is determined to fulfill God's revelation, even if it means helping her son deceive her husband. We have a son who doesn't really care about God's plan. He just wants to be number one. And we have a son who deliberately deceives his father. We've got four winners here, if you wish. But what is the point? God's purpose was still fulfilled. His promises were still fulfilled. And when you find yourself in horrible situations, in dark times, one could argue that we've entered into them, and we're, like, we're trying to figure out, what can we do? What can we do to, to fix this situation? We need to stop and realize that God's purposes will be fulfilled. We don't need to pull a Rebecca or a Jacob to somehow trick people into believing what we say or following what we say. I don't think we should look to politics to solve our problems. We should recognize that God's purposes will always stand and will always be fulfilled. And when you have these four people um, who probably are the epitome of a dysfunctional family, um, it's like, how's this ever? I mean, it's bad enough with Abraham, you know, with Hagar and that whole thing. But now you've got Isaac going against God's plan, Rebecca conspiring to deceive him, Esau not caring a whit about God's plan, doesn't care at all, and Jacob who's willing to go along with his mother's deception, and yet God's purposes stand. We should not lose heart. We should not imagine that God's purposes won't be fulfilled. They will. Because he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's pray together. Our Father, we've covered a lot of ground today. Looking at Isaac, a man of faith and yet governed by fear. A man who, in essence, went to war against you. Knowing that you had chosen Jacob, Isaac wanted to pass the patriarchal blessing on to Esau. It's a fearful thing to go to war against God. Yet Isaac did. We have a wife who deceives him through her son. The other son who doesn't care anything at all about your plans, your purposes. We live in a world where we could say we are surrounded by people who do not care a whit about your plans or your purposes. We may lose heart. We may be tempted to deception. 
We may scheme and plot. May we in our hearts recognize that you are the Lord God Almighty. This is your world and your plans will come to pass. You are a God of grace, not because of any good thing that we have done. It is purely because of your grace and your love. May we not forget that. Thank you for bringing us together today to worship you in spirit and in truth. Again, we remember the Cabrera family during this difficult time, we pray that you would touch Mr. Cabrera and raise him up. Be a comfort to his family as they're gathered around him. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place. And as we walk through the world in this coming week, may we have a sense of your presence with us every step of the way the God who loves us, the God of all grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.